Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. It's Wednesday, October 20th, and I'm your host, Marty Bennett. Today, we're going to be walking you through three themes we've been hearing over the past few weeks that we'd like to go a little bit more in depth to, to help you broaden your exposure to these topics and perhaps gain some insight into nuances within these topics that might be able to help you do what you do better on your campus. First up, can you recruit international students without recruitment platforms? Second, are you engaging in partnership building in, in, in India? And finally, what are your strategic plan priorities? We'll talk about those. We've been talking about these themes quite a bit, particularly on the ed tech explosion and strategic planning over the past several weeks. And we're covering different elements of that today, but we want to really spend the time over the next half hour uh, going down in the weeds a little bit to talk more about these issues and what's really involved uh, in making it a successful part of your overall international education strategies on campus. So before we get to that first question, special welcome to those watching live here on Facebook. Always a pleasure to have you part of the conversation each week as uh, we talk through these issues. Also to those watching on repeat, either on our YouTube channel or on our Facebook page for SMIE Consulting. Uh, we, we know your time is valuable and you can't always catch us live, but we appreciate you making the effort to hear what we have to say. And finally, those that download the podcast each week uh, to uh, enhance their international edification, whether on their runs, on their walks, on a stress break as they're trying to answer uh, emails, whatever it might be, thank you again for including SMIE Consulting in your international edification. So let's get to that first question. Uh, we do bring the uh, stories of the week that we cover here on the Roundup. We do have those uh, initial news stories that come out in a, our newsletter on Monday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern. A uh, copy of the most recent edition is in the chat, se chat comments section on the Facebook page for this event. And also, uh, you can subscribe to the to the newsletter free of charge on our website at smieconsulting.org slash subscribe, where you can also find an archive of all past editions over the last two years, three years now. So we'll get to these questions now. Uh, first up, can you recruit international students without recruitment platforms? And this is, to be clear, we're talking here about the various ed tech providers, these agent uh, agent aggregators, these uh, service providers that are out there that, that promise millions of uh, visitors to their sites each year. They document that in various ways. But these, this, these are the folks that can give you that bang for the buck in terms of exposure for your institution to the widest range possible of potential students. Uh, and then deliver those uh, those leads to you and allow you to then nurture them through your communication flow and your uh, other recruitment funnel activities that you have set in place to bring new students in each year. So that's really uh, the the theme here is uh, to answer this question in light of the larger ed tech explosion we've been experiencing and all the various providers that are uh, jumping up, um, uh, some of which have been around for well over a decade, others are much newer on the scene, but are promising uh, more probably more than they can actually deliver on a number of on a number of ways. But we'll talk through that as to what those expectations are. Uh, but can you do it? Uh, 
can you recruit international students without these platforms? And that's that's the real, uh, real dilemma here. Is are you forced to spend your recruitment dollars now? Uh, in this uh, pandemic, post-pandemic world we're living in, where digital platforms and um, recruitment is really your only option uh, to to reach students, since you're not doing the traveling yet, maybe not until 2023, uh, late, maybe fall 2022, you might get out there again, but we'll see. Uh, we don't have any real timelines yet in terms of when that uh, world of recruitment is going to reopen fully, and even if it does. Is that the way that you want to go as an institution? Uh, so there's a lot of different questions wrapped up in this, but can you recruit international students without these new recruitment platforms? And each platform has its own uh, promises that they make, has its own uh, uh, slight variations on the theme in terms of structure. And that's frankly, as a as someone who's been on that other side, helping service providers kind of market to U.S. higher education institutions or globally, uh, there's real challenges in distinguishing yourself in the marketplace if you're one of those, uh, one of those platforms that's trying to, uh, it's promising all these eyes on your profiles, your institutional profiles. How do you uh, make sure those students that are actually getting to you and then as an institution, the, pro, the leads you receive, how qualified are they? Uh, some uh, some pr- uh, platform, some of these new platforms promise you're only going to get students who are at that applicant stage. Uh, so others say you're going to get those that have expressed interests, those that have viewed your profiles. There are various distinctions that uh, they're talking about. So we're going to get to the uh, the rub of these in as as we uh, talk in reference to an article in Inted. Uh, our good friends there, uh, student recruitment platforms or DIY. And they make the case uh, and provide solid, a solid overview of what some of the challenges are, uh, pros and cons of, with working with uh, these larger providers, uh, these uh, platforms, student recruitment platforms, if we want to generously call these, uh, these uh, agency aggregated platforms, these lead search engine platforms, call, uh, profile uh, platforms. Uh, they each have their own uniqueness as our uh, proposed uniqueness. Uh, whether they actually can deliver on those promises is always always the challenge uh, in terms of providing numbers and students that are actually going to apply and, and then enroll. Those are, for many of the newer ones, there's probably not a whole lot of data yet to support the, that their success rates. Uh, others that have been around a while certainly can provide that and have various tools that they've developed to help demonstrate their effectiveness. And uh, that's certainly part of what you buy uh, when you uh, when you when you buy into these new platforms. In terms of how are you going to help me document my the success or failure of uh, working with you uh, as an institution rep talking to one of these providers. So that is um, that is really the challenge here. And some of the pros that uh, they mention in the article. Uh, through using these platforms, it's easy to gather student contact and academic interest information at that very top of the funnel. Uh, It has wide potential reach based on the platform's uh, marketing spend and SEO that they're dealing with. Uh, it is can be hyper-defined in terms of the matching the student profile, that students that are using the site, these search, these search sites, these uh, recruitment platforms to to better drill down to the students you actually want to uh, to come apply to your institutions. 
It can be a time saver on a number of different levels for the students, for their agents, uh, one-stop shopping type of thing, but you're never getting the real full range of options that's, that are available, and that's really the challenge uh, from a from a larger perspective, you get what you pay for uh, in terms of are you in there with uh, 500 other U.S. institutions or are there only 50 U.S. institutions, 10 U.K. institutions, 20 Australian universities and a number of others from around the world. So are there, what other support do these pl platforms provide? Uh, do they have uh, online advising for, for students that are looking for uh, some kind of initial help that might guide them to particular countries? And of course, the the main uh, uh, goal of these platforms is to focus, even though they'll say that they represent all institutions, they have profiles for uh, those universities that are paying membership fees to be to have their uh, institutional information highlighted. So these uh, these platforms can uh, have great uh, provide access to, to for institutions that don't have name recognition yet, uh, that are trying to get their foot in the door in particular markets. Some of the recruitment platforms that are listed here on the Inted article are are niche to a particular country or region. Uh, others are are quite clearly global uh, enterprises. So the challenges uh, are in managing that relationship, managing the expectations uh, of what you're going to get. Uh, you know you can get translated content in many of these profiles to help uh, focus your institutional message in markets that make uh, make sense for where you want to grow uh, in your in your at your institution. Some uh, will uh, provide enrollment qualification uh, uh, type of uh, vetting of some of these students to see if they're academically prepared, if they are uh, obviously major matching, but beyond that, that, some of that's automated at some places, uh, exclusively automated, in others there's a human element involved. So there's a lot of uh, possible options here. So it's in, if you're going down this route, you certainly need to do your homework on that, on what exactly they're providing and what uh, kind of analytics you're going to have access to to help better inform and maybe uh, adjust what, how you do what you do with these platforms. Uh, so there's uh, always additional fees potentially when you'd make those kind of changes but, uh, and other services that you sure can add on, but uh, that, that's never really going to be up front and uh, are included in what you get initially. So I think what uh, some of the cons are in terms of uh, using these in the article certainly points out uh, what you know what you're getting uh, is you don't always have that, uh, particularly for newer platforms, what the uh, end result is going to look like. Uh, you can get a lot of unqualified leads that kind of just are wasted uh, that aren't clearly uh, your target audiences, uh, that uh, you, you have little opportunity to differentiate yourself or your institution on those platforms because you're, you're using a common template. Uh, so it's, uh, uh, it really comes down to how, you, how high you rate, you rate on, on their search, search results uh, in terms of uh, the level of matching. Uh, that uh, featured institutions, as I mentioned earlier, get uh, more, uh, get uh, like platinum level versus uh, gold level uh, memberships get more eyes on their, on their, pro on their products. So again, distinguishing yourself uh, against those that are paying more are uh, they uh, are uh, so are you really getting all the best leads that you could potentially get so it's hard to know what's happening behind the curtain and what uh, what those uh, what those how those leads are actually getting to you so it's uh, 
you don't have really the most control, direct control over what happens. You have control over the, over what content you put out there, but don't have con uh, control over how those eyes necessarily get to your content and how do you make that content stand out. So a lot of challenges in that space. Uh, but so we look at some of the uh, mergers and acquisitions and uh, partnerships that have developed. We talked about that last week. Uh, some of those uh, potentially make, uh, there has to be at some point a consolidation of, uh, of some of these programs because frankly there's, um, there, there are too many of them out there to really be well understood. And in terms of uh, uh, what uh, challenges really that will pop up and as, as, these, pro as these programs and, and tools, platforms evolve, you look at some of the um, some of the challenges you come into with some of these agent aggregator platforms that are uh, that are supposedly um, um, basically agents around the world sign up with these aggregators uh, to send their students to them. The uh, the aggregator uh, gets these universities to have profiles. Uh, some and the greater majority are not paid profiles; that they're just the generic ones that show help match to programs of interest, but those that pay get a higher profile, we'll get more leads, obviously, we'll get leads, because if you don't have to pay for a profile, you're not getting leads. But uh, you, you, you really don't know exactly what you're getting. Uh, and, that's, uh, uh, and you don't have control over what the, what the students that these agents are sending to the platforms that are potentially connecting with you. You don't have control over how you're marketed uh, with those students, to those students, uh, from, by those agents that are referring students. Uh, there's, uh, there will come a day that uh, uh, with the agent aggregators that will say, and even some of the non-agent aggregators, you have uh, other platforms that, um, that are Basically, they have their initial setup cost, but the, their main funding will come from students that come to you as a result of uh, them using your platform, and they charge you agency commission rates, which is a little odd in terms of its, the way it's structured. Uh, and I won't name this particular one uh, that does this, but it really uh, leaves kind of an interesting impression in my mouth, uh, my mouth, that, or taste in my mouth, and that doesn't really s sound right uh, because uh, they basically provide leads. And if any of those students that use their service and end up enrolling in your college, even though they don't really do they provide you the data and the analytics, but that doesn't really help you recruit them necessarily, the individual students. That tells you where they're coming from. Maybe helps you alter your message, but it's, you're doing all the work as the institution other than them providing that platform that initially gets them connected with you. So to charge agency rates per student for those students that enroll at your institution seems like uh, they're they're hoping to ca capture uh, those uh, get paid basically for students that might have touched their 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 site uh, as part of their overall college search. They may have had worked with uh, an agent in using another site that they might have uh, gone to Education USA. They might have done a number of other things that helped get them to you. It might have been materials that you sent them. Uh, but to just get a name and then be charged com agency commission rates for the work that they did in getting you that name, if that student chooses to enroll, seems a little um, disingenuous, frankly. Um, and I, that's, I have problems with that model. And frankly, some of the agent aggregator models are, depending on the way they're set up, can be like that uh, for these recruitment platforms. So I... That I 
I really have my concerns over uh, though some of the some of these models where there's so many unknowns, you don't really know what you what you're getting because uh, many of them are new, uh, certainly newer to U.S. higher ed. For many of them, that uh, that you don't know exactly what kind of track record they have. Uh, recommendations are certainly if you before you sign anything, I would certainly want two or three recommendations of like like-minded schools that have used your these services before you say, okay, here's here's my. $25,000 or whatever it might be that you're going to have to pay a year to uh, be part of their platform. So these are these are the kinds of questions that you need to ask, and it's certainly a, a very complicated mix of uh, criteria that you're dealing with. I know with a couple of my um, couple of the institutions that I'm uh, working with now, the the these kinds of decisions, uh, particularly if uh, in one case an institution that's not done a lot uh, in the international space is truly trying to understand all the pieces of that they're getting into and how decisions are made. So there's there's a lot that you want to be careful about when you uh, when you go down this route for uh, using these recruitment platforms. But uh, talk quickly about the the other option that uh, is mentioned. If you're not going to go with these various international student platforms, uh, recruitment platforms, what, sh what, is it, what is your option? And it's staring right in front of you. It's your institutional website. Uh, and their uh, the websites uh, at college campuses, uh, the teams have grown exponentially in the last 20, 25 years. Uh, you look in the late 90s, there was a webmaster, and that, that person might have had total control over the entire institutional site. But now that's clearly not possible where it's in one person's hands. They have IT, have, uh, or marketing IT communications have multiple people working on, uh, on, the, on the website. Uh, different departments, different units, different colleges have different fo focal points uh, or f individuals in the, on the web team for the university that are responsible for their content. Uh, admissions and recruitment often have their own uh, marketing IT people as well to help with these uh, their piece of the pie. Uh, so there's a lot of a lot of resources that institutions are already putting into your institutional content, and with relatively uh, with certainly a lot less cost, uh, upfront cost, there are other kinds of costs, obviously the human cost, staff time and all of that, but there are much lower costs in terms of making your site the best it can be if you've got the bandwidth at your campus to dedicate individuals to marketing, having, having some institutional marketing dollars spent on international as well, not just on the wider university. So given, and so I've even seen some universities that uh, have worked with their marketing, international offices that work with their marketing departments to say, hey, our, un our university, uh, international students bring so many dollars to the university, we would like, uh, and as a percentage of the whole, we would like uh, a percentage of the university's marketing budget to help go to promoting uh, resources on our site for these students and driving traffic uh, through various ads and other uh, SEO-generated tools to bring students to our content on our site. Developing that content is obviously the larger challenge if you don't already have it. Uh, multiple languages, uh, versions of your content, uh, landing pages for events or uh, different online uh, drivers uh, that your uh, application drives or uh, virtual events that you might be doing on your platform, hosting them on your platform. Those are the things that um, you can do easily if you have the staff in place. Uh, not necessarily in your international office, but certainly dedicated staff within Marcom or IT that helps you enhance your web presence for international audiences. Certainly, you're, you can really, when you do that, you're really allowing 
those students that get to your program to your content on your site to be the ones that are truly the the most likely to engage and enroll because hey you your 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 information is what brought them here your customized information your focused information your multilingual languaging information is bringing them directly to you rather than being on a platform where where you could be one of hundreds if not thousands of institutions that inst that children uh, that potential students are sorting through so DIY is certainly possible, but it does does require more upfront work, and there's there's not necessarily out of the box solutions for that. Uh, that you really do need the hands-on folks within uh, your institution to take the lead on that and be invested in that. So hopefully you can get to that point because certainly uh, I think the best there's a there can be a balance here, and certainly I, I think. Uh, you, when you have a solid website, that, that provides a strong foundation for everything you do. Because even with these other profile sites, recruitment sites, you still need to have the content on your site because they're driving traffic to your site uh, in one way or another uh, So to, for them to find out more about your institution. So it's, it's critical that your social is, 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 is competent uh, and uh, uh, professionally done. It means that your website needs to be top priority. If you if even if you even if you are using these other platforms, but you can with the added uh, marketing dollars that you spend instead of twenty five thirty thousand dollars on a on a recruitment platform, can you invest some of that money in driving traffic to your uh, to landing pages on your international site uh, for your uh, prospective student audiences and making that a more robust unique and customizable journey for your prospective audiences rather than a bog standard profile that you get on one of these recruitment platforms. So there has there there can and should be some kind of blending in the ideal world of these kind of services. Uh, some are better than others and finding the right ones is a, it can be a real challenge and some work better for other some campuses than others. Uh, there's a lot of different variables involved and uh, certainly you want to make sure that you you have all the information at your disposal before you make those uh, those high dollar commitments. Now let's shift gears to our second question. Are you engaging in partnership building in India? And this is uh, really an important question, I think, because obviously India is number two sender to the United States. Uh, we've, we've been seeing, uh, after China, we've been seeing over the last 10 years a rise of uh, Indian undergraduates. Uh, coming to the United States, and I think those numbers are only going to grow as the Indian middle class grows, and you see uh, dissatisfaction with the um, amount of access to quality places on the university level, uh, from secondary school to university level, that process of entry, entry tests, and, uh, and particularly during the pandemic, some of those haven't been able to be uh, tested, and how are students getting in, and uh, really, um, for Indian undergraduates, uh, there is are more opportunities in the U.S. now that as parents see the value of uh, coming over for that undergraduate degree, getting their foot in the door early uh, for a longer-term goal of uh, work experience, uh, second degrees, and all of that, uh, potential, uh, potential uh, work after graduation, all of these kind of experiences uh, that drive a lot of traffic from India. So coming, instead of just for graduate programs, starting to come more for undergrad. The numbers are still not nowhere near uh, equal. Uh, much like the Chinese numbers were 
in the early 2000s, it was almost exclusively graduate and undergrads were, were growing. The mid-naughties, the Chinese undergraduate numbers exploded and the graduate kind of stayed consistent. There, right now, there's a little bit more undergrad than grad Chinese. So, uh, but the, uh, India, it's a much much larger disparity, but those numbers are getting closer. Not, they're not, it may be a few years before they get anywhere near that. But uh, I think that's a, a market in India that is ripe for further growth. Uh, the positive uh, moves the Biden administration has made related to travel, related to uh, changes, positive changes to OPT processing, uh, to H-1B, uh, going, going away from the lottery system, are uh, going back towards the lottery system away from the salary, higher salary requirements that the Trump administration put in place. So there's other factors, post-degree, post-study work options that seem to be uh, making India much more attractive again uh, as a market for U.S. institutions, that there's more, more interest there. Uh, Indian students have not been able to go to Australia or New Zealand for the last uh, two years. Uh, there's dissatisfaction with that, having to do remote study on their phones for Australian universities, and that's not working. Uh, they want that in-person experience. That's clear. Uh, the numbers are certainly clear on uh, on all surveys in that regard. The overwhelming majority want still want that in-person experience. So the U.S. has been able to offer that. Canada has been able to offer that. Uh, the U.K. has been able to offer that. So they're seeing uh, general jumps in their Indian student numbers. I think overall, longer term, the U.S. is going to uh, is still the number one. Uh, recipient of Indian students studying outside of India. Uh, Canada, the UK, Australia have, are also on that list, but certainly U.S. Is, has been number one and will probably still maintain that for years to come. But the playing field has gotten more competitive, as we talk about many times here on the Roundup. So partnership building is really one facet of your uh, approach to India that for a lot of institutions has been kind of that hard nut to crack. Because uh, the Indian uh, higher education system is hyper-regulated in some some respects, uh, the new national education policy that was rolled out last year certainly has laid the seeds for a promising future for cooperation. But um, even though the government itself would only prefer the top 200 universities worldwide be setting up, uh, be allowed to have on like th satellite campuses in India. Uh, many are looking at partnerships, uh, dual degrees, joint degrees, bachelor, master combo degrees uh, that are are being uh, seen as, uh, as kind of a, an, e an easier, uh, more direct way to uh, to establish these partnerships. Uh, that, but it's a complex field um, with the university structures, uh, the way they're uh, approved or accredited to, in in India, very different, and it's sometimes hard for U.S. institutions to really get a sense of what's happening on the ground. So really, um, there are some great resources out there uh, that uh, do these, uh, that help you find find your way in India. And uh, there are a number of service providers that also work with institutions on the recruitment front uh, that have in the past done a lot of recruitment tours that are also adding in partnership building uh, in India that are very much India specific that they have on the ground staff in country to help that. Uh, it could be everything from Sanam S4 to uh, Gen Next, K uh, KIC Univisist, Simple Ed. 
Uh, a number of these have developed these, uh, these significant partnership building aspects to what they do. And it's important to have perspective uh, as you go about these things. You, you know what you're paying for, what, you're, what, they're, what the role they're actually going to have. Some are very high-priced uh, ventures where you have a, a, a committed staff that you're paying the salary for, basically, to be an in-country rep for you. Other, other universities uh, that have had large histories of Indians coming to their campuses for degrees have set up gateways, uh, like Indiana University as a, and Ohio State have IU gateway, or have gateway campuses or offices in India that serve as a, kind of a clearinghouse for student interest in their institutions for that country. Uh, that person, staff person, that does the recruitment, goes meets with uh, the institutions that they might want to partner with. So there's a lot that goes on in that. And it's really something that I think uh, uh, is, is, is something more institutions need to be doing. Uh, how that gets done is really the key uh, to, to your individual success, what will work for your campus. What I would suggest, though, there is a free uh, webinar coming up or workshop coming up in December. Uh, virtual workshop December 7th and 8th that IIE is offering. I'm dropping the link to the um, sign up for uh, for that uh, that those work virtual workshops. Uh, it's uh, it's an expression of interest survey that you need to fill up by Friday this week. So uh, the link to that uh, kind of informational site from IIE is in the chat section on the on the. Uh, comment section on this on the Facebook live event for this uh, for this live chat. Uh, you can also find it in our newsletter. So uh, that came out on Friday. You can go to smieconsulting.subscribe or backslash subscribe smieconsulting.org/slash/subscribe. Uh, go to this week's edition for October uh, 18th, and you can get the link to that as well. So I, really important, uh, worthwhile attending. It's a free free service, but that that will give you the overview of how that. Uh, how those relationships can and and should be approached uh, when you look if your institution is looking to partner with Indian institutions, like-minded institutions. Now, our third question, uh, we'll get to it just briefly here, uh, and that is, what are your strategic plan priorities at your institution? Uh, we've been talking a lot about what what strategic plans often what often the failures are uh, for strategic plans in terms of making the budget be the driver for the plan rather than the mission. Uh, but there's, there's some, other, some other interesting sub-questions that get involved with strategic plans. Uh, but three quick successes or keys to success, I think, uh, that an Inside Higher Ed article pointed out this past week. And this is relevant whether it's uh, an institution-wide plan or your own institute, uh, international ed plan, uh, that I think these messages both apply. Uh, the three quick ones, uh, steps that they, they suggest, ensure that your marketing leader has a seat at the table from day one. And uh, that's something that, uh, the, this, there was a survey, uh, this um, article is based on a study that was done of 108 strategic plans uh, in every state. Uh, 45 or 42% of those plans identified the constituencies, constituencies from which committee members came. Uh, that of those 45 plans that had uh, listed people, only 17 had marketing and communication leadership at the table for those uh, as part of the core steering committee. Uh, it's it's, it's, it's and the the the, the, the 
the article and the study kind of make clear that uh, it's not surprising, frankly, that uh, institutions don't have marketing at, at the table for the initial conversations uh, because their job is to get the word out about the activities within the strategic plan. But uh, what, what marketing does also have is more of a strategic focus in terms of how they plan things, that to have them thinking about how the, what directions the university are going from the outset, they can kind of jumpstart on where the institution might need to move on that marketing side. The second piece is make sure the expression of your mission looks outward and that you are creating a plan planning process that does too. So that it's not just we want to grow our own population, it's why we want to grow. Uh, that uh, what impact we want to have on the larger community, uh, on our state, on our region, whatever it might say. So uh, that also means uh, having representation from your community um, on, the, on the board, outside the university, I think, uh, was uh, that uh, that w where we would see that as, a, as an important goal. Uh, and that the final third point is focus more on positioning and less on branding. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's an important distinction, I think, uh, that language regarding uh, strategic plans, 40 per, more than 40% refer to marketing plans, uh, mention market position or positioning only a few times uh, overall. Uh, that there, you they while it's mentioned, the focus is not really on being X. It's, it's a, a being this kind of like a, a university that wants to be an R1 research institution. That's a that's a position, less a brand. Uh, that you want to be the most diverse uh, institution in your state, in your region. Uh, that so you want to do X, Y, and Z. That uh, because it's not your brand on we you want, we want our campus to be uh, be x y or z we want to be positioned as the leader uh, or the uh, the authority in whatever whatever field whatever subject whatever goal that you have uh, branding will help you uh, get the word out outside your institution obviously but that doesn't really mean that's a driver that should not be a driver for for the strategic plan, branding. Uh, branding will be an element of getting you to where, uh, of when you get to that point and what you're driving towards, uh, but it's not the motivation necessarily. So I think that that's, that's important, important distinctions and I, this Inside Higher Ed article is certainly worth a read. Uh, sorry we don't have time to go in more depth to it, but happy to have these larger strategic planning conversations as well if your institution is uh, looking to go down that road, particularly on the international side, that certainly can help you with that. So if, you have, if uh, we're looking forward again to chatting about these topics and more in the weeks and months to come, that's all we have for you this week on the Roundup. But we appreciate your attention, and we'll look forward to chatting with you again soon. Cheers.